in a small coastal village uh, on the uh, coast of the Mediterranean somewhere, there's a fisherman named Tomas. Uh, he was known for his skill, his luck, uh, in uh, his work on the sea. Uh, the villagers often remarked that he was somehow uh, specially related to the water. Um, he would return at times with a, a bountiful catch when everyone else was, was empty-handed. But his secret wasn't uh, a mystical connection with the waters. Uh, it wasn't with the deep bonds of you know, aquatic life. It was because of the bonds that he had formed with the older fishermen of the village from days gone past. As a boy, he longed for the sea. He listened intently to the stories and the lessons of the elders uh, in the fishing industry. And he, he learned not just about fishing techniques, he learned about the rhythms of the tides and the behavior of the fish and the, the signs and the conditions of the weather. As a young man, if he ever disrespected uh, those with whom he worked or the boat or the tackle or the sea or even the fish, he would be reprimanded and he'd sometimes be left behind from the excursions. But inevitably, when he was left behind, someone else would show up and gather him in and take him to see and learn from the land side industry of fish and, uh, uh, and, that, and, and other parts of that community, really. As he grew older, he became a respected, highly respected member of the fishing community, he continued to draw on all that had been passed down to him and all that he had learned and blending it in with the gifts and the skills and the experiences of his life. Uh, he was incredibly successful as a fisherman. But his identity, as you can put together as a fisherman, was not about his visual skill. It wasn't uh, about anything about him in particular. It was deeply rooted in this collective wisdom and the traditions of his village and the community there. Um, as you might suspect, when the, the marine biologists came to study the local ecosystem, they were uh, amazed by Thomas's understanding of the marine environment. And they realized that he had grown in this knowledge through no real scientific means, although he had interwoven what ended up being scientific truth that they had discovered only years ago. Thomas knew that he and his community were an inseparable thing. He was, in large degree, simply a reflection of his community's shared identity. Maybe I don't need to go too far to explain that metaphor. It is the life of a Christian. Last week, I, uh, I cut myself uh, short. If you were here, I had more to talk about, and it was about community. We have been talking about identity, and I was, uh, uh, well, what I was going to talk about was how community was a part of our identity. And I'm glad I had another week to dig a little deeper, uh, to pray a little longer. Because what I've come to understand and what I cannot escape, no matter where I look in the New Testament, is community is not a part of our identity. It is our identity. We, we are a body. Those that have trusted Christ and follow him, those that call themselves Christians, 
are really no longer identified by their individuality. You are one for sure, but our identity as Christians is communal. It starts as an individual, right? You have to make some decisions. You as a person are of God, uh, you're with God, and you are for God. We talked about that last week. That's your identity. You are of God. You're created by him in his image, and, and your life is centered upon him, as is all of creation, really. Just not everybody realizes it, that he's at the center or at the top, if you will, of all things. And if you've trusted Jesus, uh, you've been reunited, reunited with him. You're with him. You're redeemed. You're chosen. Your faith in Jesus and the forgiveness that comes through him has uh, put you in a position where you are assured of his love forever and ever. Amen. You are with him and you're for him. You're carrying on his ways and his purposes. Empowered by the spirit of God himself within you, the church is of God, you are with God, you are for God. Listen to a little reminder from the first part of Ephesians. Now we're studying this letter that Paul wrote. We're in chapter four, but to recap, here we are, chapter one. To God's holy people, the faithful in Christ Jesus. He says, praise be to the God and Father of Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and will. Paul starts this section by saying, grace and peace to you from the God, our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, up until God was understood by the life of Christ, God in general around the world was seen as, as an angry God that you better just be careful around. There was never any warmth. There was never any joy. There was never any pleasure. And Paul reminds us what Jesus showed us. that He loves you. He loves us. And he blesses you and adopts you and loves you. We do have a personal identity in Jesus but at that same moment, we are invited into this community, adopted into this family. And it is there that Paul pivots out of the first three chapters into the fourth chapter. And he says, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be who you are. If you read Paul, any of Paul's letters, you're going to see that theme again and again and again. Be who you are. It's odd, isn't it, that someone would have to remind you to be who you are, isn't it? You would think, how could I be anything other than what I am? Well, there is a problem with that. We do need to be reminded who we are. Go back to the Mediterranean Sea, go below the sea level, and you're with these two fish that are swimming along, little buddies coming the other way is the old wise fish comes to the two young fish and says morning fellas how's the water they talk for a little bit fish swim on after a little bit of silence one fish turns to the other and says what is water we need to be reminded who we are 
because we are oftentimes unaware of the soup and the water that we live in that is shaping who we are. We need to be reminded to be who we are because we are, as Paul says, new citizens, part of a new humanity, a new people, still here and now, but also there and then. We have moved into this eternal space. And if we forget that the water we swim in is telling us who we are, not who God says we are, but some other form of that, then we do need to be reminded who we are. Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, the God of this age has blinded the minds of believers, unbelievers, so that they cannot see. Well, even the believers have a residual effect of that blindness. We can be blind to what is going on around us. We can be blind to the waters that we're swimming in. John says, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. The simplest translation of that is that we are from God. We are his, we are of him, we are with him, we are for him, while we live in a place where evil blankets the world. Your new identity in Christ is key to living a life worthy of the calling upon you. It is key. And if the Christian life comes down to being who you are, who you now are in him, then evil, God's opposition, is battling to deny you that identity to entice you to take on a different identity rather than that one. That is the battle we live in. That is the water we live in in this world as believers. It is a battle for your identity. We see this illustrated as starkly as it could possibly be illustrated in the Gospels, at the beginning of the Gospels. You remember when Jesus was baptized by John, a voice came from heaven and said something to Jesus. Do you remember what it was? You are my son. This is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. That is a identity statement, right? Are you with me? This is my son. And then what happened? Immediately following, the Spirit drives Jesus out into the wilderness to interact with evil. And what is evil trying to do in every temptation? Make him question his identity or leave it. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all of that authority and all of that splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone that I want to. That's the water we swim in. The earliest recorded interactions of Jesus in the world, this spiritual battle, is a battle of identity. And now that he's gone and send the Spirit, lives within us, we face the same battle. That's the water we live in. Who am I? 
I said this last week, you will spend your life chasing an identity or you will living, you'll be living from the one that is divinely given to you. Yeah. The reason it's hard to be who you are is because the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this world apply a 24-7 full court press to secure your attention, your energy, and your resources. You're aware of that, right? Everywhere you look, somebody is trying to get a piece of you. They're trying to get your time. They're trying to get your attention. They're trying to get your money. And you know, if you notice, what do they pay you with? How do they get it from you? They promise you an identity. They promise you an identity and they promise you some kind of a fulfillment. Politicians need your vote, so they play upon your fears and they promise you some security. In exchange for that, they offer you an identity with the party. They assure you that you're on the right side of history, that you matter and that you're changing the world for better. Take on that identity. I'll give you that identity if you give me your vote. Companies, whether they're phone companies or home security companies or credit card companies, they need your business. So they invite you to belong to their tribe, headed by some famous, likable, trusted person. They say, don't be dumb, be intelligent, take their free offer, be a part of the best in the world. You can be attractive, successful, comfortable if you have their services. Unless you don't have the latest upgrade. <laughs> but they're always coming after, they're always promising you some identity and some fulfillment. And it's not just marketing ploys, but virtually every environment you live in, every environment, family, neighborhood, college, the teams you follow, all of them are somehow, some way, trying to provide you or give you an identity and the promise of some kind of fulfillment. You might say the powers that be scheme to draw you away from your God-given identity by providing an alternate form of belonging and an inadequate fix for your longing. It's everywhere. It's the water you live in. I, 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 I encourage you, I exhort you to be aware of when you are being offered a belonging or a fulfillment to your longing. And remember, be who you are. You don't need it. If you take it, they're going to hold you hostage. They're going to threaten to take it away. And you're going to have to compromise to keep it. Instead, Paul says, instead of that, instead of taking those identities, instead of leaning into those fulfillments of your longing. Live the life worthy of the calling you have received. Align your living with the calling that is yours. Yours as a believer. It's not a pursuit or a passion. You don't earn identity with Christ. You don't pay for it. You don't search for it. It doesn't come as a result of what you do, what you accomplish, what you have, or the family you're born into. Your true, eternal, deepest, core identity is a gift. All you do is receive it. Paul covered this in Ephesians chapter 2. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That's quite an identity. 
And for it is by grace you have been saved. It is by grace that you have this position. It is by grace that you have this identity through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works. So no one can boast. You can't boast in your identity. It was just given to you. You just accepted it. There's two things that Paul is saying in that simple statement, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And the first one is it's a gift. The second one is it is an individual at its core. It isn't an individual thing at its core. This calling. Uh, to go on in Ephesians 2 for just a moment, right? And uh, he, he says, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone in him. The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Not a real building, a community. And in him, you too, the church, the believers, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The calling is communal. We tend to think of calling as individual, and there is that. Right? You might be called to teach or to parent or to heal or to advocate or to, or to art, artistry or to leadership or to service or entrepreneurship or scholarship. You, you will be called by God into this world to engage the world in different ways. And there is that. But the core of the calling, the core of what Paul is saying, he is imploring us to align your life, to align your behavior, to live as you are and as you belong. The calling is a belonging. Look at where he goes right after he says, live a life worthy of the calling. He says, be completely humble and gentle. You don't have to be humble and gentle by yourself. I don't know if you can. It's weird actually to think about. You can only be humble in the space of others. You can only be gentle in the space of others. He says, be patient <laughs> with one another. Bear one another up with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Right? You, can, you can just hear the community verbiage and, and uh, uh, vernacular that he's using. Be who you are. Be these things in community, the worthy walk, the aligned behaviors that call, Paul's calling the believer to are communal, they're relational. And this new citizenship, this new humanity, this space of belonging is fully adequate, fully complete, and utterly centered on God. Listen to where he goes next. Listen to this. And count these as we do them, right? There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Seven. This is Paul. He's a rabbi. Seven means so much to the Jews. The root word of seven is the same as the root word to be satisfied, full, or to have enough. 
He says, listen, you belong to something that is rooted in one. It's rooted in one God, one faith, one baptism. This is who we are. We are centered on this, and it is complete. It is, it is all that you need to be rooted in him and to belong to his family. The fullness of our identity, the completeness of our calling is found in the community of God. Our deepest longings are met when we belong to the body. Just think about what I said earlier about what the rest of the world, the soup, the water that we live in, what are they trying to do? They're trying to give you a place of belonging and a fulfillment to your longings. And Paul says, you don't need to find it. You have it. You have it. When you walk through the water and the soup and the, and the culture of, your, of, the, of the world, walk through it having your identity, not searching for it. Have it. Don't buy into it. Don't, don't listen to the lie that you don't have an identity. Don't buy into the lie that they can fulfill your longings. Along with that identity also comes purpose and meaning. Listen to where he goes next. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So Christ himself, on in verse 11 and then 12, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. When Paul says, live a life worthy of the calling, when he says, align your life with the belonging that you have, he's saying, live your life in a way that you are building up that very community that you belong to. We tend to live in the soup of Western culture, of individualism, rugged individualism. We pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. It's what we do with our life at the end of our life. What we did and who we are is what matters. Paul's saying, mm -mm. the greatest testimony of your individual life as a part of the body of Christ is how healthy was your community. It's not about you per se. You are undergoing heart transformation. Of course, you are developing, you are growing, but why? Not for your own good ultimately, but for the good of your community. The community needs you and needs me and needs one another to be growing in Christ in order that the body can build itself up. At the end, at the end, after this life, the question won't simply be, were you forgiven by the blood of the Lamb? You can answer that question. Yeah. The question is at least two-phased. Have you forgiven others? Have you been forgiven by others? 
When Jesus taught us to pray, he said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Provide for us every day, Lord, give us your bread and forgive us our debtors as we have forgiven them. For kingdom, the kingdom of God to come, for the community of God to be who it is intended to be, for you to have the identity that you have is to be forgiven and be forgiving in the community. One of the most profound things that you can do as a believer is screw up. In public. Why? Because one of the most amazing things that can happen in this lifetime is to be forgiven. To be accepted apart from your screw-up. We don't experience the identity we were supposed to experience if every one of you is living a perfect life. First of all, you're lying. Second of all, you aren't experiencing what it is Paul's calling us to be and how he's calling us to walk. I bet you've read this verse, and when you read it, you just keep moving on because you think, well, that, I don't get, that doesn't make any sense. After teaching us how to pray, he says immediately, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. What? <clears throat> the life that we have in Christ, the redeemed life that we have with God is commensurate with community. It's like living with a snorkel. You don't breathe just out of a snorkel. You got to breathe in. And you don't just breathe in, you got to breathe out. God's saying, it works like this. You breathe the forgiveness in from me and you breathe it out to those others and you breathe it in from them and you breathe it up to me. It is a constant thing. You can't have one without the other. If you love me, if you're part of my community, if you're part of my adopted faith, my forgiveness flows and your forgiveness flows. If your forgiveness doesn't flow, you don't breathe out. There's nowhere to put in. The toughest questions of our new community, our new citizenships, aren't, are you forgiven? Are you encouraged? Are you affirmed? Are you included? But is, have you done those things? What's the, what's the saying? They know we are Christians by our love. We tend to live with the idea that they will know we are Christians, right? Think about this. Think about your workplace. Think about your neighborhood. How are those people going to know you're a Christian? By your behavior. No, actually. You can't actually show someone Christ by yourself. You can't. It comes alive when they see that you love somebody or they see that you are loved and you're unlovable. I told you before, one of the best things you can do is screw up. Another one of the greatest things you can do for evangelism is be unlovable. <laughs> but be loved by somebody in that community is a huge. Think about how that instructs those in your midst 
Like they know you. And that community loves you, merciful to you, encouraging to you. Yeah, we want to stand. We want to we go, look, you can believe in Christ because look at me. But it really is, you can believe in Christ because look at me and look what happens in my community. Our testimony in the end, our testimony, your testimony will rest in part in the condition of your community. Oh yeah, I see that you're well, but how is your community? That's a, that's a high calling. Paul says, live a life worthy of the calling that is yours. Live a life worthy of the belonging that is yours. Live a life that is equipping and growing and encouraging and affirming and forgiving. Be a part of that community. Until, he says, we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Uh, be honest with me, when you've read that verse, you're thinking it's talking about you, right? Because it says you. Paul's you in the Greek is always plural. It's y'all. It is. You should always read you by Paul as y'all. When y'all reach unity, faith, and knowledge of the Son of God and mature, attain the whole measure of Christ, instead speaking the truth in love, y'all will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Pastor Tammy mentioned heads earlier. I'm going to mention it in a little bit nicer kind of a way. We're talking about the head of Christ. Do you, do you know what makes a kid cute? Do you, do you know this? This is like actually like scientifically proven. Part of what makes a kid, a toddler cute, is their head's too big for their body. The cutest, most adorable kids have huge heads. The community and the body of Christ is a small, scrawny, scrangly little body. We're really struggling to get along. We don't do it really very well. We are, our job is to grow up into the head of Christ. The, the church of God, the body of Christ, is this beautiful, fully mature head of Christ with this tiny little stick figure body underneath it. And Paul said, live worthy of the calling that is yours. Help one another grow into the body that matches the head. Live there. Your identity is your Christian community. And your job is to help that community grow into maturity, to be a representation of the sacrificial, loving, forgiving, encouraging, affirming life of Christ. And then he finishes here. And then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. No longer will we be tossed back and forth by the waters of this world. 
that are trying to get you to buy into a different identity and some different solution for your longings. We won't be infants with big heads. We'll be mature, like Christ, walking through this world together, utterly aware of who we are, in no need of any other contribution to that end. That is the power of a Christian life, is to walk in this water and not be overcome by it. It is a disempowering of the power of the world where everybody else is trying to buy in, trying to find, looking for it. The body of Christ as a whole stands firm and says, we know who we are. We're a scrawny little body with a wonderful head becoming a better body. And you can be a part of it. You can be a part of mercy and forgiveness and encouragement. You have a permanent identity. As a Christian, you have a permanent identity and a place of belonging and the promises of an unwaveringly reliable God. Christianity at its core isn't about my strength and my faith. It's about my transformation for the good of the body. In the twilight of his life, Tomos the fisherman wouldn't go to sea anymore, but he would still spend much of his time in an old rocker under a tree just off the docks. And one day a young boy found the courage to greet and speak to the old man, and he eventually asked why everyone listens to him, honors him, cares for him. He said, who are you? And Thomas said, that's just it. I'm not me. I'm us. God, we, yeah, we swim in a water that says it's all about me. And much of the transformation that needs to undergo certainly is walking away from that mindset, walking away from that grid. God, we need you so desperately to change us at a heart level because we have this ugly pride, this egotism, this arrogance, this self-centeredness that will, just won't stop calling. <clears throat> but we know that you change us and we're thankful that we're not alone, that we can't do it. It happens in community. Who I'm supposed to be, who we're supposed to be happens inside that community, that transformation, that refinement. Help us to be a growing body under your headship. God, help us to have the humility to be forgiven, to forgive, to be encouraged, to encourage, to sacrifice, to give, to be generous, to be grateful together, and to stand firm, strong in a world where the waters are drowning people. Let this be a place where authenticity and honesty live and goodness and beauty, strength, echo 
Jesus' name. Amen.